You are listening to the BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. We discuss social justice, childhood trauma, current events, hip-hop, and so much more. Now, here's your host, Michael Arrington. So yeah, man, what's up, y'all? It's your man, Michael Arrington, man. I'm here with the BU Show, the inaugural show. Um, Get into my monologue, man. Um, we talk about resilience. <clears throat> resilience is a very, very important component to being successful. You know what I'm saying? So, what is resilience, though? Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or mental toughness, right? So, you think about your life right now at this moment. You worried about finances, you worried about family, social life, how you look, how people see you, relationships, whatever. Remember this, though. You got to have a will to do it. What's the difference between you and someone successful? And that's the will to do it. You have to believe. You have to believe you deserve it. You got to believe you can achieve it. The belief you will receive it. What you believe you can achieve. It starts with the belief, then a plan, and then the will to do it. Don't stop until you get it. You are special. You are great. And also, remember this. Sometimes God's no is not a rejection. But it's a redirection. You have to know you are great. But it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you a lot of tears, a lot of sweat, loss of friends, maybe even family. But when you achieve them dreams, it'll be well worth it. That's right. Resilience. All right, let's get into it. I got my man, the legendary Mike and Nine from the legendary group Freestyle Fellowship. We're going to get into some topics, man. Really just kind of have a real in-depth conversation about music, life, success, failures, childhood trauma, L.A. in the 80s and 90s. We're going to get into it, man. I appreciate y'all tuning in. Buckle up. It's going to be a ride. You are listening to The BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. back man we on the bu podcast man i got my man one of my favorite people on the planet man my guy the legendary from the legendary crew freestyle fellowship how do they call all that man my man michael my, my man michael nine he's in the building break, break, what's good with you my guy it's all love just it put is. me a little meal in the oven wrote some songs feeling good ready to record Waiting for one of my bros to come through so we can fire something down and catch up because uh, we did a project. Uh, shout out Will Blast. Uh, we did a project, which is like a mixtape that's called Sooth and Smoothies with all my smooth stuff. And uh, he's been doing NFTs and all kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, I've been on pause for a few weeks behind that COVID. So now I'm Tested negative a couple of times. I'm opening everything up so, you know, I can, I can catch up with my cats and, and do things like this. So I'm waiting for him to come through. Uh, but no, I wrote some tunes and I'm ready to pretty much track them all out, and knock them out. I know people have been waiting for a while. They've been real patient with me. So that's pretty much today's agenda. I haven't smoked any herb in a while, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, man, I just want to get into it right quick, man. Um I had a couple questions, man, I wanted to ask you, man. I, first of all, man, I've been a big fan of yours, man, since before Inner City Griots. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to um, uplift you, man, give you your flowers, man. You are, for me, you are the John Coltrane of L.A. hip-hop, bro. 
Um, you're innovator, visionary man. Hold on, man. Hold on, man. You know you're a dangerous man on the business end of that microphone. I'll take a rose or two, but you are no slouch, bro. (laughs) Oh, you know. You're acting like you're not my Kill Myers, though. Like, what's all that about? You in interview mode or something? (laughs) No, I'm just, you know, I'm giving you flowers, man. Please exchange roses. That's a good rose exchange right here, man. Shit. Rose Bowl in this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, you you are uh, an architect, man, a visionary dog. Like, like for real. When I, I think about you, when I got into this hip hop thing, man, I was I was just about to graduate high school, man. We talking 92, 93, and you was already setting it down. And um, you and Ace, self Jude, my man Peace, y'all was like for me, y'all were superheroes in me. You know what I mean? And so <clears throat> To, to be able to, to, to sit in this room and holler at you now, man, and kind of just, you know, pick your brain, man, is, is, is an honor and a privilege, man. So I wanted to start it off with that, man. But what inspired you as an artist in the beginning, man? Take me back to 1982, young Mike. What was you thinking about? What was you? you know, 81, 82. That was crazy because I knew I could sing a little bit because I would sing in church. And since I was young, my mom, she put me on the soapbox to make me sing these old Negro spirituals and gospels and stuff. Her and my dad, rest in peace, they were in the music and played instruments, jazz and stuff. And, um, but by the time I got into sixth grade, they started the mandatory busing. And I was sat in the back of the bus because I liked the bag and, you know, talk a lot of shit, whatever, and just entertain myself. I was supposed to go to Hillcrest that year because I'd already been going to Hillcrest, but then, I got bused to an elementary school called Walgrove out in Venice. So it was enough time, you know, to ride, listen to the radio and, you know, get caught up in traffic and whatnot. So I guess I started rapping and doing these little short, like eight bar, uh, 16 bar, kind of like funny raps, bag raps, just to entertain people, you know? And I realized I had a knack at that because my mom, Rest in peace. She, uh, my Duke, she used to make everything a song to kind of get me to do my chores or just anything, you know, and she was real good at rhyming and words and melodies. And so I guess I picked it up from her in the sense of I'm doing these funny little raps. And then every day I would think of a new one. And after a while, however, people would be like, well, say the one you said yesterday or say the one you said last Thursday. And so I started memorizing them. And so at one point, you know, I'm riding and I'm doing like two, three weeks worth of raps, pretty much entertaining the back of the bus. Then after a while, the bus driver would turn down the radio and I'm entertaining the whole little school bus. Mind you, it was not the short bus. (laughs) I'm not shaming nobody, but, you know, I'm entertaining the whole bus. By then, you know, people are beating for me, making little beats and stuff, beating on the chairs, beating on the walls. So I was known for that. And uh, that kind of got me into it. Then going out of Bond Junior High School, you know, I noticed kids would get in circles and kind of re-recite. Uh, hello, we still here? Yeah, I got you. We still here? Yeah, I noticed when I started going to Audubon, I go to school, you know, go play basketball and stuff, and then I see a cipher, and they're like re-reciting Dolomite or re-reciting, you know, Blowfly or or Richard Pryor, or, you know, little jokes like that. Right. I would go in there and start saying some of them same raps I used to say the year before, 
in elementary and then I'd start making them new ones and have a rap or two while we waiting <clears throat> to play ball, you know, and they say like, you got next or whatever, you got to wait till the game's over. So I would do that, start rapping about in school and stuff and Martin Luther King day and always, you know, rocking little talent shows, junior high and high school and stuff. But early on, of course, you know, the good songs that came out because, you know, I like fat back. I like, you know, Looking for that good stuff. Tighten up on your backstroke. But on the flip side of that, they had a rapper on it. His name was King Tim the Third. Right. And so I hear that. Yo, fat back, don't you hesitate? And you know, around that time you start hearing Sugar Hill and hearing all the early raps, you know, Blowfly and you know, rap dirty. You know, I remember um ditching school one day. And this was like in the fifth grade, I think, or sixth grade. And this kid took me to his house and said, my mama won't let me play this record. Playing Blowfly, Rap Dirty. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, just so that era, I remember that summer falling in love with Sugar Hill and all the other rappers out there by the end that were doing their thing. And I was blessed enough to be exposed to a lot of early hip-hop. Older dudes on my block were already getting into DJing and breakdancing and stuff way before b-boying and hip-hop formally came to la so right i thought i could dj a little bit i thought i could write and i thought i could uh break dance and rap but slowly yeah. but surely through years it consolidated to what i thought i was best at which was the rap thing but yeah early on just wanting to do it and knowing that i'm going to be a rapper and mc that came on the tail end of junior high school rolling into rolling into um Another busing thing that I did when I went to high school, I got bused to Birmingham High. Oh, word. Okay. And my first rap handle was MMC. Very original, right? right? That only lasted maybe about a month, two months. And then I changed it to Microphone Mike. And I'd walk around with my rhyme book and, you know, write some rhymes of calligraphy or whatever, trying to make them like, oh, Dead Sea Scrolls and shit, right. burn the edges right. of it, make it look aged. And, you know, you treated your rhymes like precious hymns right <laughs> and so you know microphone mike was definitely the handle on on through the 80s then when the 90s came around i changed it to mike nine and there was a little short transition period from microphone mike to michael troy nine mike hakim trying to figure it out and, and to this day people still spell my name different ways but right. i'm hoping by now i'm established enough to where they know who 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 the person is and, and who they're talking about yeah, I knew I was going to be a rapper for a good long time, but then I'd say by the ninth, tenth grade, I was all in, you know, circa, what, 83, 84, something like that. I was all in, you know, by the end, I'm with my homie Pun, and shout out Punish, and shout out AC Alone, Teaspoon, Iodine, my first group, uh, MC Aces, we would go to the uh, laundromat beat on the walls and stuff and record our raps with two boom boxes. And what happens is, is that, this is before I'm doing formal demos. The two boom boxes, you know, you would record back and forth. Right. But then it would get faster and faster. But Spoon knew how to turn down the wattage in the back of the boom box to where it would re-slow down when you record so you didn't get that chipmunk effect. Right. Even though our voices were still young and squeaky. <laughs> right. Uh, some of my first demos I did was with DJ Plan Punish and Play-Doh. Uh, I'd say we're 13, 14 years old and we didn't have a microphone. So we would plug the headphones into the mic jack and wrap into one of the earpieces. And that worked like the microphone. And I know it all. I'm rapping over uh, his mama jazz records. 
I'm rapping over his mama jazz records. I'm rapping over, you know, ska records and rapping over, you know, electro records, you know, uh, craft work, doing numbers, you know, rapping over Tour de France and Johnson crew. And then uh, later getting more hip hop instrumentals together or we would rap over pause mixes and those loops. But by the time I was maybe about, I don't know, 14, 15, that was when um, we were getting like them LL singles and getting, you know, Tears for Fears. And I'm rapping on the back of the shout, shout. <laughs> but when LL first released I Need a Beat, I was able to, you know, rock that instrumental and stuff. And by then I'm getting more into my b-boying and battling and wearing Kangos and BVDs with the permanent crease and <laughs> belt buckles and putting all kind of plastic bags or bags in my hat so my hat would stay poofy and rolling my socks up so my Adidas would be fat and poofy and, you know, you couldn't run or nothing. So if I'm writing on the walls, I used to write Omni, O-M-N-I, and I used to hang out at the Radio Tron in them days with a undercover artist and Second to None and Kill to Succeed and right. a lot of other crews. And so... If you had a vigilante or somebody that's like, why are you writing on the walls? It's hard to run in fat straps. Right. <laughs> you got all these cans in the backpack. <laughs> so, you know, there were hazards to B-Boy uh, reality. No doubt. Whereas, you know, with a microphone or without a microphone, you could just be on a bus or some battle somebody. You know, you can make a little money too. Me and AC used to do these mock battles on Hollywood Boulevard in Highland and put our kangles down and act like we didn't know each other. But a whole little thing or do it in Venice Beach. Right. I remember time to walk, <laughs> you know, the Walkman come around next to, you know, we trying to sell our little tapes and stuff. And, hey, you look like you're in the hip hop and just put the headphones on their ear, <laughs> right. sell them for five bucks and stuff or do the little mock battles or sneaking in the clubs. I remember we snuck into the theater when they show Crest Groove. And before the show started, the movie, we went all the way up to the front of the crowd and start beatboxing and rapping. They thought it was all part of the act. To the point where the people were mad that we snuck in the theater and asked us to keep doing it. So we kept doing it. Every time they would show it, we'd go back, go get something, come back, oh, it's another showing. Go out there and rap. They give us like 50 bucks or something. Oh, that's just had a knack for it, man. Had a knack, you know, for this rapping thing. And along with the other homies and crew, we all kept each other going and taking it to another level where we would uh, start doing our freestyle drills and learning how to beat and rhyme at the same time, keeping the same subject matter, the same wow. pattern. And, and, you know, not falling off. And, you know, those are kind of the things that, you know, not only got me started and interested into it, but those early years perpetuated me continuing. Yeah, I just came up for out, a minute to get a little sunshine. It's so sunny. I'm in L.A. Where you at? I'm in uh, Rialto, man. I'm out in the Rialto, state. I love Rialto. Rialto. Shout out Rick Rock out there. Rialto. Yeah, so <laughs> going back in the day, man, I remember um, when I first – got a taste of you guys or whatever, man, and, and how you guys were kind of fusing the jazz and, and all that type of stuff, man. But I remember running into uh, Tadinko D years ago, and he was telling me oh, how y'all influenced leaders of the new school. And uh, yeah, see, the thing about them guys, man, Dinko Fly, I love them guys too, because it was mutually admiration even back then, because, you know, they were cypher, they were down with Ballin and stuff, C. Brown and, and Buster. But, you know, if it wasn't the fellowship, it definitely was the leaders in the new school when you're talking about those backgrounds. Right. The group backgrounds was the shit back then. We was into that. We was, like, trying to make that shit tight, too, man. I right. love it. And that was such a dope thing, man, because I know, like, you were known for, y'all were known for that, I know. Um, 
L-O-N-S was known for that. I know Onyx tried to kind of use a little bit of that too, you know, with that heads up, you know what I'm saying, with that background. I love them. I love it though. I love that it because like, it came up good on stage. Definitely. And and uh, it just added more emphasis, you know, and back then, Cats wasn't seriously multi-tracking their solo leads, but that's where the group members would come in and emphasize a word or two. No doubt, no doubt. They need to bring yeah. that back. I like they that. They do. They so, certainly do, man. But uh, check it, man. Take me back to the 80s, man. Let's say 87, 88, crack era. You know what I'm saying? Right into the to the riots era. That was kind of when you was really coming into your own as an artist, as a professional artist, right? Uh, I know you did some ghost writing for some people that ended up doing some stuff. Yeah, that's right around that time. I'm like 15, and I've been living on my own since I was 15. I grew up in foster homes and moved in with my mom at nine. And, you know, I hung out with her till about 15, and she pulled me out. Moved in a crack house, you know, working, had two jobs, everything else. But, you know, a little while there, I had a little sack, fucking with that poison and shit, whatever. But, um... Yeah, you also had like ultra wave, you know, the preppy kind of scene, even though I couldn't get in when I would wear my B-boy clothes. I was still exposed to, you know, different forms of music and events, going to clubs, sneaking in like to Fridays, Fever, Hollywood Live, you know, the little clubs back then, Last Shot, you know, and then later on, uh, Water the Bush, United Nations stuff. However, uh, in that era... You know, I would go to school and I would write. I remember writing rhymes for cats like Bo Bill, different MCs. And then I met um, these dudes, uh, Zave and, and Sean Rappenstein and their producer, Corderock Tim. And uh, it went from me doing my thing to them having a little action and audience with Dre. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll fucks with Dre. I'll fucks with Easy and them because since I was like, I don't know, I always hung out at the Crenshaw Swap meet, but like 15, 16, I started really hanging because when I was 15, I battled uh, Cool D because I heard he had just battled AC and Spoon. And Cool D, a.k.a. Don Jaguar, a.k.a. Yeah. Earl the Poet, That's at the hot dog stand over there at the Crenshaw uh, Swap meet off of Marlton and King. Yeah, I remember that. So I go there, hang out, we rap and stuff. And so from that point, I had already been going either to the Crenshaw Swap meet to try to sell my little cassette tapes and stuff or going to the Rhodium Swap meet. So, of course, at the rodeum, I'm going to bump it easy in them because they're doing the same thing. And I'd already met Warren G when I was like 14 and he was 13 or something. And we both too scared to get on stage and rap <laughs> while, while Drake while Dre spinning, you know, on the platform truck, you know, for Uncle Jam's army. Right. And, uh, you know, back in his glove days and stuff. And then I was like, you're not going up? He's like, no, nah, I mean, I might. And he's like, and that's my cousin, too. I'm like, oh, shit, well, whatever. It's like. We said we just have action, but you're still kind of shy, you know. It took a lot right. of heart back then, you know, to go to pep rally or motherfucking talent show or something, rapping in front of people. You yeah, know, yeah. that's why I think we shouted a lot of that battle anger because that was the only emotion we kind of control doing right. it right. So anyway, around that time, I'm writing rhymes, cats here, there, you know, and I would just write raps for people. They give me like twenty bucks, fifty bucks, whatever. That's how I was making my money outside of working the slang. So, you know, in exchange for some studio time for me to do my demos and stuff, I wrote a couple of rhymes, wrote quite a few rhymes, and also had to teach them how to rap because they were kind of like singer, dance rappers, Rappenstein. There right. was another Rappenstein, and it was also the Rappeteers, not to be confused, because when I played basketball, especially in junior high, I mean, high school, uh, in the high schools, I went to a 4A division. So right. we went to every high school, and every high school had an MC, and I battled every MC there. and, and 
you know, that's how my name kind of got around this microphone mic. And so around that same period, I, I wrote a couple songs and, and some stuff and, and they ended up getting placement on the rapid style got placement on the NWA and the Posse project. Right. It was like their first album or whatever. I think they had one or two of them before they consolidated NWA as the group. Right. So I would think I was on one of the first albums to this day. I know there's a song called Scream. There was a couple of the songs that I wrote that was on one or two or something or B-side. I don't know. But they still got my name in parentheses, M period Troy. And uh, <laughs> I never got paid. You know, I'm about got 50 bucks or something. And I remember when Easy was alive, we laugh about it. And he'd be like, well, I owe you, kid. You know, we would play Jamaican-style dominoes at the hot dog stand where you go backwards. Yep. And then I remember one time Easy was like, uh, why don't you come with me to this party up in the hills and shit? So I went with him party up in the hills. Shout out Born Law. He was just leaving the party. Uh, back then, he was uh, Mustafa. Yeah. Whatever. Movement X. Yeah, Movement X. Shout out King Born as well. So we get up there to the hills. He's like, wait, before we go in, I want to play you something. So he's playing me some dudes, and they they rapping, right? And I, he was like, have you ever heard of Bone Thugs? I was like, yeah. But I was like, this don't sound like them. Well, they, they, oh, they, they, oh, they sound different. Oh, they kind of get melodic with they shit, little harmonics with they shit. I was like, all right, all right. I was like, yeah, you should sign them. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, shit, that'll keep another door open for my style. Even though I have many styles, I was already chopping back then. I was already right. melodic and doing what I do. So I'm like, okay, well, he has an interest in that. Maybe there could be a lane for me. You did. Because I hadn't, at that time, had any major record deals yet or whatever. And by then, I started having little deals here and there. By the time he played that, that was like, what, 90, early 90s, something, something. But well, I, you know, like 94 and something like that, 93, whatever. But going back to NWA and that stuff, I'm Dre, you know what I mean, uh, from just, you know, eventually getting brave enough to get on stage and bust a little bit here and there, but not quite able to keep a solid place to live or, or a solid number. So whenever I exchange with him or whatever, you know, I just kind of disappear. Um, and, um, you know, Yellow was cool. Ren, you know, he was cool. Homies, you know what I mean? But uh, later on, you know, after Easy Pass, rest in peace, you know, that, that kind of hurt. Uh I used to write rhymes for RBX, for example. And this was uh, late 80s, early 90s, like yeah. circa 89, 90. And he had a deal with Bulletproof Records. And that's where I met Snoop because he lived around the corner from Snoop. You know, Snoop is his cousin. Right. So it's really whatever, right? So, you know, and Snoop was just getting his raps going. You know, he called us on the three-way and stuff and come over and crash on the couch, kick it, you know, because I used to stay with Lord Create, who was uh, RBX's um, DJ and producer at the time. But uh, they had a nice budget of Bulletproof, you know, and so I was able to get paid writing stuff, and that was kind of how I earned my keep. And so on through the years, that familiarity and that connection stayed close. Mind you, RBX didn't need nobody to write his shit. He was an excellent writer, but he was right. already, you know, decades ahead where he didn't, you know, he, he could just appreciate working with people more like a jazz musician. So shout out RBX, shout out Snoop. So then what happened was... uh I think the last time I actually hit with Dre, because I used to do art direction too on the side, Moonlight, Moonlight and do like set design and, 
you know, props and stuff like that for videos. And so, you know, occasionally I'd be hired or, or our production crew would be hired by Drake for this or that video. And he would always be like, why are you working behind the scenes? You're supposed to be in front of the camera, you know, this and that. And back in the day when we did the Tomb and Make Concern, for example, he wanted to sign us and he wanted to just basically, we thought he wanted to remix it and change the album, but come to find out later, he just wanted to run everything through the SSL board and just boss everything up. Right. He wanted to remix it like that, like remaster it or whatever. You know what I mean? He's wanted to make and it so. But by, and so by the time we got these deals coming around with Island, he was they were putting together the, the death row. You know, mind you, I knew Suge, you know, because I knew RBX and them, you know, they all big a B rest in peace, because they all was out right. there in Las Vegas football, this, that, and the other. Right. And um so he create he's from Vegas, so we used to go back and forth creating as well as doing raves and moving doses and everything else I used to do as a kid, you know, like and and these guys they just turned me on, on to a lot of good music, good house music I was into, good dance hall, good jazz. So the jazz and the dance hall and, and the electro music and the hip hop kind of helped formulate my style. Um so later on, let's say 96, 97, so like that. Uh, RBX took me down there to meet the boss, about meet Dre again. He was like, "Man, I can't believe you still ain't on with Dre all these years." And then uh, I go there and I wrap my heart out, and then everybody in the room is just floored, and they're like, "Calabasas, Calabasas!" I'm like, why do you keep saying Calabasas? So I guess Dre had a has a studio in Calabasas. So I guess I got that green light to go with him there. But then I was supposed to go that following week and start working on a project, but I ended up going to jail. I wasn't jail that long, maybe six, seven months, nine months. But uh, when I came out, I was kind of a changed man. You know, I'd been to jail before quite a few times, but like not that long, which wasn't long comparative to how people, you know, getting football numbers and stuff. Shout out all my people still in there, by the way. But uh, I just needed to come out and kind of regroup and get my thing together. I had to look for a place, this, that, whatever. And uh, just kind of, you know, fell off. But by then, I had a... Uh, custody of my daughters that was taking a lot of time from me and uh we was just starting to crew up again because we did the second fellowship album and then i was in new york for a while came back 95 you know 96 then uh come like 96 97 we're doing haiku to talk and that's me ac and abstract rude you know with a band and this is at the advent of pro tools so yeah, yeah. Around that time, however, we was doing everything. I went to jail, and so, but I'd see Dre, talk to Dre every now and then, and you know, still nothing but love. But obviously, there were other MCs that came in and kind of filled certain slots that I think I could have filled or whatever. But you know, yeah. much success and congrats to all these cats. You know, they all still show me love and respect. So that's pretty much the NWA connected kind of reality. Um, I want to shout out, you know, rest in peace to DJ True. He was the one with the uh, raccoon hat right. on the album cover for NWA and the Posse. And L.A. Cool, that's his brother. Right. He was the one holding the bat. So even though they weren't on the record audio-wise for that particular one, they did music and stuff around that era. You know, they're part of that lore and also right. part of my underground, you know, or worldwide, whatever you want to call it, Project Blow, uh, Good Life uh, Collective. Right. That's the amazing thing about I think LA artists, there's such a six degrees of separation. Everybody's connected somehow, some way. 
And that like how I met you, I met you through Mean Green, right? And I know you got a green rest in peace, man. To my man. But like he was the one that was really pushing me towards how I ended up being known to everybody or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like he was the one, he was the reason why I took the Western Hemisphere too. They didn't want nothing to Mike Kill Myers, man. Nobody wanted, they didn't want to <laughs> face you, man. I'm trying to tell you. I remember them days just destroying the radio. I'd be on the radio, the radio station dropping it. I don't know what you was doing, the makeup shows. Or that yeah, stuff. Up show all, them, all that stuff. Come on now. Oh, shit, my phone dying. Hello? Yeah, I hear you. Are we still in? All right, let me plug it up. But yeah, yeah. Green Man and Western Hemisphere, Cass, Voodoo, you know. Yeah, it was, and it's crazy, because, like, I grew up with... Taking uh, the skills well beyond good life and lyricist lounge and dropping science. Right. Yeah. Hold on, sorry. I got you. All right, man. Try to balance this long piece. Mm. I need to grab my other thing, my little holder. So, yeah, I, I knew Razcat. Razcat's lived in my neighborhood. And so he introduced me to Voodoo. Voodoo introduced me to Green. Green introduced me to the world. You know what I'm saying? Because he was the yeah, one. It was Green, you know. It was Green. You know, you know Green. So It was Green and Ganja K, rest in peace. Bombay, Seaweed, Mark the Murderer. That's what he's called himself back then. He called himself Dank Will now. Napalm, that was Steve. He used to be fat ass with KLD, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Napalm. Uh, Tyreek, Jero, yep. uh, and, um, and you know, Teen, we used to call him Mean Green Teen. And, and Green, he was definitely a pillar in the hip hop community, just to make a note. He was, um, I think I went to the Radio Tron the first time with him. We played Hooky from Birmingham, went out there, and he was like, Mike, you gotta come, you gotta come. He used to write Case. Case one. And uh, me and Green, we go back to like, I want to say Baldwin, because we used to play ball for Baldwin Park, or you want to play like Vineyard, you know. So we go back to like, we, we ages. I got to shout out Malcolm Jamal Warner. He was on our team too. Uh, right. <laughs> That's funny. He's an excellent musician, excellent orator, and poet as well. Definitely, definitely. Uh, well, let me ask yeah, you. We this grew up question. together, huh? Have you ever had any kind of weird or unusual encounters with, with other celebrities and athletes? They're like, oh, you Mike and I from Freestyle Fellowship, or you Mike and I from whatever. Have you ever ran into somebody like that? Or who's the strangest? I'm sure you have. So who's the strangest person that you that knew? Oh, in what respect? Oh, okay, here's one. Now, you know, I did that song, Park Bench People. Right. You know, the people kind of herald years later as, you know, kind of starting the neo-soul movement or whatever. Me, I was always... Ever since I was very young, I always wanted to be like revered as an innovator of the open, not just being open, open to rhyme or not shy, but open so far as having a wide range of versatility. Right. And uh, that's why it was important for me to learn Patois and Lingua and, and Cockney and all of that. Shout out Cockney O'Dyer, by the way, and the Vine Stall and Scheme Team, because him and uh, Don Jaguar used to help me translate, you know, the reggae tunes and the dancehall tunes. And, um, you know, and obviously, you know, the dancehall DJs, MCs, you know, they, they had a rapid fire delivery of sorts already. Right. But um, strange enough, I do the song Park Bench People. And later on, I want to shout out Jose James. He did a wonderful cover of it. A couple of covers. He did one with a Philharmonic Orchestra as well. So he kept it real. And this is like a couple of years ago. I mean, many, many encounters, many different people. But this one I want to start with. He's like, it's only fitting that I turn you on to who the originator and author of this song is because Anita Baker 
just fell in love with the song. Wow. And so she's giving him roses, but he was like making sure that she knew it was me. And so she gave me roses and stuff. Uh, Forrest Whitaker, you know, he was a fan. Like not uh, Anthony Anderson, you know, wanted me to play when he got one of his first little roles. Uh, let me see. Um, honorable mentions. I wasn't able to go to Washington, but Obama and them, they knew what was, what was up. Uh, That's but strange, oh, like hanging out with Woody Harrelson and, and <laughs> Wesley Snipes. Right. You remember Guadalindas? Yes, yes. Yeah, so we would just go out there and our whole thing was we call each other just go there and dance. Even if nobody was there, we danced like nobody looking. Right. And say, like, hey man, you know, I'm, you know, I need, you know, I need my dance partner, man. But you know, <laughs> careers eclipse each other, of course, through the years. But just you know, I, I keep naming them and stuff, and people like, oh, I'm like, oh man, it's cool. It's like, man. but you know, they fucking with you because you kind of got a little bit of something. And all the the, the star type people were very supportive. Bo Keaton, Tyson oh. Beck, for all kind of people, just very supportive of my group as well as me whether I was doing something for myself or something with the group. Uh, shout out Zulu Nation and all kind of people. Uh, you know, rest in peace, John Singleton. He wanted to manage us first before Kedar Massenberg. Shout out Kedar. Shout out Kwanzaa. And I hadn't seen Kedar. You know, bro. Word up. And, uh, you know, through the years, people kept it cool. Uh, I can't take this call right now, but I'm doing a shout out Biz One. Biz One producer extraordinaire. He did uh, Delusions of Grandeur, a song I did called Delusions of Grandeur, Six right. Style. But, uh, you know, dropping names, stars, I'm mad folks. I remember one time Fellowship did a premiere show. I don't know if it was at like Whiskey, like late 90s or something. But it was packed. But it was like backstage, so many other artists. I mean, not just hip hop artists, jazz artists, rock and roll people, funk people. Uh, Actors, actresses, you know, because at the good life, you was getting that after a while. People started not only tapping into the talent pool, but they were just coming to hang out, coming you know, out. 90210 and all that. That's heralded. Right. Got to shout out Ava DuVernay, my sister Ava DuVernay. Sure. You know, sure. she chronicles that in, in, in our documentary, This Is The Life. And speaking of documentaries, I got to shout out DJ Bonds, Elements. Got to shout out uh, Kevin Fitzgerald, uh, Freestyle Art of Rhyme. And even books, got to shout out Brian Cross, B+. Plus. You know, it's not about no salary. And, and anybody else that's helped through the years document. Speaking of books, I'm, I'll make a shameless plug. Uh, my book will be done soon. Um, it's called My Kaleidoscope. We're just oh, doing the rough good. drafts and stuff now. Oh, I'm definitely going to have you give me one of them, bro. Yeah. You know, I got like 900 to 1,000 songs I've been on and wrote. So they can't fit them all in, but, you know, I left it up to their creative vision to pick whatever 60 or 70 songs they right. want to put in there just for documentary. They're talking about doing the volume one, volume two, volume three. But, yeah, star-wise, trying to think, yeah, I used to uh, holler at little starlets and stuff back then, hanging out with people because I used to hang out with Adam Salzman and David Salzman's son, and I already knew, you know, big Quincy Q and them and, uh, you know, Elion, shout out Elion, shout out Paul Stewart, Power Move Productions and stuff. and. Right. And Shane Mooney and recipes to Paul and Pops. Yeah. Just, you know, that, that energy over there, you know. Got to shout out the homies. Man, remember man, shout him out. <laughs> uh, uh, let me ask you this, fam. Let me ask you this. Um, definitely a lot of star recognition, just in closing. I mean, like, 
even before niggas blew up, you know what I mean? Like I was friends with Pac, I was friends with Biggie, I was friends with Big On, you know, and, and all of that. You know, I was friends with, uh, you know, Recipes, I was Carl Thomas, you know, like just because I could sing too, you know, D'Angelo, all that kind of stuff. And right. Just, so it, it got me in different fields and interests, you know, different exposures on different things. And I studied Lil Meisner, Strasburg. I didn't really take the acting the way I wanted it to because the rap was starting to take off. But, um, you know, just uh, athletes and stuff. I used to hang out with Kobe, rest in peace, before he started getting that Mamba mentality. His other homie, Dirty Rat, you remember Dirty Rat? Yeah. He used to write, kind of hang out with Shaq. So I was on that other side, kind of like me and Shaq was cool too. But right. again, careers eclipsed themselves. Go ahead. Yeah, man. Um, let me ask you this about the state of music right now, man. I feel like in certain respects, it's a lot of disposable art. Like it's not, it's not like it was when we were kids, man. We get them jazz records and look at the liner notes, look at what they recorded at, you know what I'm saying? And I see these young kids now, they're just kind of making music as opposed to making art. I just want to know what you, your feeling of that was. Feeling on what? Musicality? Yeah, musicality. You feel like... Um, yeah, you I mean, you're talking about the theoretical approach to music so far as like sight reading and, and the different tenets and, and uh, the different facets of yeah. the, the music picture? Right. Um, okay, I'm just trying to sneak a little uh, a little quick text. Um, I would say that my years just coming up rapping because interesting enough, I didn't play instruments or even really pick up playing instruments till I was like, what, 1920, 21, something like that when I right. met Joe and I met JMD and them. And I remember my dad gave me a trumpet and I was able to take to it pretty easily. I guess, you know, be a genetics or whatever, but I already had a bit of an armature because I like to whistle and already rapping and stuff. But during my years coming up, music programs were very, very limited in school, you know, elementary, junior high and high school, you know, unless your parents were really pushing you and paying for lessons. So uh, theoretically, however, when I started playing and learning, I got to shout out John Bukowski, John Bukowski Jr., uh, he used to play for Tina, rest in peace. And he did some of my earlier demos and stuff that helped me get my first real record deal with Arista. And I did uh, one of the first R&B rap thing other than Melly Mel and them, uh, for Carmen Carter, a song called Always. Shout out, rest in peace to DJ Rob One. That was one of his favorite records. And also the Wailers. Shout out Greg Ski Royale. Greg, mm -hmm. uh, Greg Ski Royale. He used to do a lot of remixes and stuff. So I was on a Wailers remix around this time. Uh, but I learned how to produce and learn multi-tracking and started learning about mixing and how you do the demos and pre-production and post-production and big studios, those knee flying faders, learning about automation and oscillation and, and panning and, and frequencies and, and learning about arrangement, composition, bridges, you know, Barry Gordy, A, B, A, B, A, B, different song structures and formulaic approaches to, to the industry. And, and how to use my voice in different ways. And theoretically speaking, between that experience and learning, as well as picking up and hanging out with the jazz cats all through the years, and got a shout out, you know, rest in peace, Billy Higgins, rest in peace, Horace Tab Scott, got a shout out, Daryl J.M.D. Moore, shout out, Dwight Tribble, shout out, Don Muhammad, shout out, the world stays, uh, and shout out, the homies, you know, um, Terrence Martin and Kamasi Washington and, and Joseph Lineberg and just different cats I'm running around with 
and we all, you know, taking the music to another level. Because even though I rap, everybody want to rap. It was like the black man gold mine at that time. Everybody panhandling. Uh, but when a DJ and make a beat or something, you know, we're taking it to the other level. You know, applying, you know, aspects of music theory and learning scales and chords and things. And I just think overall it made me a better MC and a better songwriter and just a better feature artist or or I just knew after a while I was able to bring something to the creative environment after studying different time signatures and timbre you know color or harmony um major minor scales chords blues forms of music um uh, you know just you were able to kind of listen to a song and kind of hear what the borrow might be all oh, this sounds like that that because you know you start getting a wealth of knowledge of different tunes and standards and you know when some people kind of get that photographic memory i had a bit of a, a melodic kind of music memory in an audiophilic sense so uh overall just as much as i study music and stuff it helped and i got to a point where i was able to sight read slowly break down tunes standards especially if i already heard it i'd be like oh okay that's that note you put everything in the b flat for the trumpet whatever but i kind of put that to the side uh, the formal playing the trumpet, walking around with trumpet, playing the trumpet, I don't know, was it 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. I picked up the other day. Shout out Malcolm again. He's trying to get me to pick up again. And I still got tone. I still got my attack. You know, it's about the whole tones, but it definitely helped my win. And the armature of the trumpet, of course, relates with the chopping, so it helped me articulate those consonants and vowels. And in general, it just helped me appreciate music across the board from punk rock, speed, metal, Jazz fusion, uh, Bajan's Indian music. I'll say rest in peace to Lata G. She just died. She was one of our premier uh, vocalists in India. You know, right, you know, right. she just passed on. It's just the tragedy tunes, and you know, living in New York, living out here. You know, living in the Bay. You know, living in UK for a minute, uh, hanging out out there rather, and just. Uh, kicking it with the electro DJs. You'd be surprised. You've got a dope dubstep DJ that also could just be a wonderful musician. So I want to shout out Gino Chino. I want to shout out Paul Switch. I want to shout out DJ Bago. It was in the homegrown crew, Mimosa. You know, I want to shout out Kemp's. You know, and even the newer and up-and-coming cats that are into the grime scene and stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to shout out Jumanji. You know, I remember last year, year before last, I did a festival with him, Scorching Heat, and he just kept saying the word finesse. Finesse. <laughs> but yeah, man, the musicality and studying theory in general and taking that serious was almost like an unfair advantage that I or we, because I know you study too, have had over just MCs in general. You know, that etiquette, that showmanship, that being able to interact with bands and stuff. You know, when you're touring Europe at the age of 21, 22, with some of the finest musicians and you're on the bus. And the rappers are in the back of the bus and all the musicians in the front. I'm the one somewhere in the middle hanging out with Ron Jordan and Max Beasley and, and these cats and, and, you know, letting them get an idea where we coming from and get an idea where they're coming from. And uh, along with the jazz musicians, because, you know, you got these jazz, you got these music elitists that are like, well, this cat can't even play or he's sad. I don't even want to waste my time. But luckily enough, older cats, male and female, you know, show me a, uh, a few of the things that not only helped me understand the music language, but also, again, inadvertently made me a better MC. Right. 
better vocalist, vocal leads, transcribing those jazz standards and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, if that is such a thing to make you a better MC, uh, you you are the epitome of that, man. So, yeah, we gonna you know be I mean? wrapping this up pretty quick, bro. About yeah, 10 so more me, minutes. Yeah, let me uh, get into my last couple of questions. I got two more questions, man. I'll let all you right, know. I'll be more brief. Go ahead. Um, real quick, man, if you had a chance to uh, have dinner with five people dead or alive, who would they be? My mom, my dad, my older brother, mom, dad, older brother, uh, my uncle Ray, and that's not enough people, but, um, I got yes, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, you it's know a one more family oriented family, but because you know the homies are still in my heart, I can still hear Mean Green. I don't know Mike, you, you know, and the right. Turk Market, you know, Plan still work at the Turk Market and stuff. Shout out to Turk Market. Uh, but also, I, I've just always had a genuine affinity connection with like the black experience in general, the black soul, Afro soul, Afro future. You know, so I'm thinking Sarah. I mean, you know, I'm right. thinking of Sunra, uh, but shout out to Sunra Creative Group, you know, shout out Taz and, and, and shout out Shapik. I'm saying Sunra, shout out, uh, uh, but in the opinion with Sunra, Jimi Hendrix, Gil Scott, even though I had the pleasure of meeting him and, and, and hanging out with him, you know, New York and LA, but still a lot more jewels and pearls of wisdom I, I wasn't able to really get. Alice Coltrane, John Coltrane, of course, Miles. Oh man. So that'd be that's another one. So down to 10, 15. <laughs> but even, you know, some more of our, our more political activist sort of entities, just to go back in time and hang out with them. Or if they can hang out now and outside of the time difference and technology changes and developments, it would be interesting to hang out with uh with Einstein, it'd be interesting to hang out with uh, Dr. King and Gandhi. You know, it'd be really cool because I, I I was one of the few people that wasn't able to go to South Africa and hang out with with, with Baba. You know what I mean, with Dada. You know, hang out with a uh, with a uh, you know Mandela right. and uh, you know those kind of entities, things of that nature. Also, um, I just want to throw this in there. I remember walking down Yukon and walking to the forum and watching the mothership land. <laughs> shout out Parliament Funkadelic and right. shout out George Clinton. Yeah, I got a little rapidy rap too, Mike and I. I can right. rap too, and I'm a rap rap. <laughs> rap right. Shout out Snoop. Shout out everybody, man. Shout out the cats, man. Shout out, no, you know, Black. Like, uh, last you know, something like that. Man. That would be the thing. It's like, you know, those luminaries uh, across the board from, you know, the geopolitical spectrum as well as, you know, the spiritual side, you know, we just lost Technahan, rest in peace. But, you know, like to hang out with Padmahansa Yogananda, like just getting like little knowledge and stuff, right. you know, to meet Elijah or something, you know, rest in peace. That would be a trip. Yeah, Jumping in cool. spaceships, whatever's going on. Uh, yeah, that's my best answer at the moment. I do want to shout out some of the people that's been keeping me alive, Saturday Night Live and Colbert and, and you know, these big comedic empires, you know, uh, Fallon and, and, and Kimmel, because, you know, people are laughing, you know, people make me laugh, it uplifts my spirit. And the different filmmakers, some of the homies too, you know, 
You got Ava, you got uh, Tim Lighty, you got um, Gary Gray, you know, different cats that, that are fully with the business. And uh, just got to shout out the different people I know that have different mediums and modes of art, you know, the painters, sculptors, right. the um, architects, and, you know, the scientists. You know, it would just be interesting to have audience with some of them or even just to be a fly on the wall while they're hanging out. That's why I like that movie whether it's real or fictional, I think it's real. Um, well, why am I forgetting who directed that movie? I'm so bad right now. The one where it's Muhammad Ali and Malcolm and Sam Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the, the One Night in Miami or something like that. Yeah, Night in Miami. You know, that was the, so that was Ava, was that Regina King? Regina King, yeah. Oh, I got to shout her out, by the way. She just lost her son. You know, we can go way, way back, like Novak so Kojak. And... Uh, Man, I could just only imagine the pain she's still dealing with. But, but shout out my sweet queen, Regina King, man. Mm, that's heavy. That's real that heavy. Was, that movie was uh, exceptional, man. Just the, the, to be a fly on the wall in that room, if it was true, to just hear that, you know, them dudes in their prime and how brave they were and how young they were. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Oh. That's the thing that they really captured in that. Because, you know, like some people don't know the history that they're making, you know, like. Pac and Biggie, for example, you know, like what, 25? 25, like, you know, but already just eyes moving forward, you know. And uh, rest in peace, Oliver Beasley, Oliver Beasley X. Just just different things I'm thinking about right now that's crossing the mind. But ask me a couple more questions. I'm, I'm going to jump off this line, tend to this food. I got uh, some people about to come over here for a session. I actually got two more interviews. Go ahead. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, there, question, there, there, Medusa. Got a shout out Medusa. This I'll call Medusa. you right now. We live. We live. <laughs> uh, she's trying to get at me. Oh, I got to decline her too. I don't be declining more like that. We live. Uh, last question, man. I wanted to get into that record we did, man. The five mics joints, man. Um, oh, I but, loved it because I was thinking, well, go ahead. That's a question. Yeah, no, nah, it was just an honor to be asked to be on it. You know what I'm saying? And then how you set it off. And I just, you know, I hope I was able to compliment myself on it. Oh, man, you blew up. I'm going to post that, too. It was just because, you know, Source was starting to lose their or pseudo-credibility, you know, because of money. Not taking nothing away from business, you know, another day, but it was just starting to get a little little funny. It was getting a little sticky. Right. You know, a little messy. So I thought we, I'd just let us slide that one in real quick. Slide that one in on them because I'm like, okay, I got Mike King. I got Mike Hill Myers. I got Mike Manson, I got me, and then Open Mike Eagle. Shout out Open Mike Eagle as well. You know, all his success with the comedic, you know, movements and Hannibal Barrest and everybody else. So, man, it was an honor then and it's an honor now that you were even a part of that because, uh, you know, hey, five mics. And it was five. I, if Source never heard it, they, they, they would have gave it five mics. For sure. <laughs> For sure, man. So I appreciate your time, you. bro. And, um, huh? I said, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you, uh, everything that you've done, everything you've meant to LA hip hop, but you meant to MCing, bro. Um, you were architecting this thing, man. If it wasn't for cats like you, it wouldn't be cats like me, man. So your fly was a given to you, sir. And um, I appreciate it, man. And we got to get up soon, man. Just got to get up. Oh, man, let's get up and get in and let's put one down. I just want to say uh, I can be reached to MYKA9 on any platform for the most part. And, um, Lots of different albums and projects and features. If you want to feature, you can DM me. I got cool rates. You know, I'm shameless with my uh, promoting campaigning with my <laughs> marketing and uh, my uh, product endorsements. 
got to shout out uh, the crew, our whole crew, you know, everybody, you know, from all my different crews and, and East Coast, West Coast, worldwide. And, um, you know, just remember, I like to say, it's like my mantra, our mantra, it's all love. It is. I appreciate thank you, man. You, all right, I'll holler back. Go on. Stay safe. Peace. It's all love. You are listening to The BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. Uh, I want to give a major shout out to my man, uh, Mike and I, for coming through. Um, definitely a pioneer in the game. For those who are not familiar with his work or the work of his crew's uh, Freestyle Fellowship, Haku de Ta, um, please check him out, man. Google him, whatever you got to do. He's on all platforms. He's available, man. Um, the dude is a legend, an architect in his game. I really, really uh, appreciate him allowing me this space to kind of just, you know, just kind of just, you know, get his brain, man. And just, you know, he's, he's such a talent. He's such a uh, intelligent young man. Um, so I just want to give him a shout out, man, give him his flowers as we speak. Um, <clears throat> we'll be right back with the, I said what I said segment, man, we're going to get into it, man. And we out of here. We'll be right back. You are listening to the BU podcast with Michael Arrington. So yeah, we are back. Bu podcast, man. Man, Mike Arrington, man. We here. So um, yeah, the I said what I said segment, man. So basically, what I really want to say, man, is about um, the state of hip hop as it stands right now. Right? There's a lot, a lot of talented artists out there. Um, just to name a few: the J Cole, J Cole, your Cordays, Kendricks, of all those. Right? R J Payne's one of my new favorites or whatever, man. But um, let's keep this an art form, y'all. Let's. Please maintain a certain decorum when it comes to the art of emceeing. Um, and I'm not saying you got to be some wordsmith, some kind of, you know, artsy fartsy, big lyrical, you know, wordsmith, man. But just kind of keep to the rules of emceeing, man, moving the crowd, um, trying to bring a little bit of intelligence, even in through your ignorance, man, making sure you do it intelligently. Right. It's an oxymoron, but it's the truth. And it also uplifts the art form as it stands. Right. So that's what I said. I said what I said, man. And. And in closing, man, I want to close with this, man. Some 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 wise words from my man, uh, Def Jeff, man, um, long time hip hop icon. Um, he he dropped this on Instagram recently, man, and I just kind of want to share it because um, I thought it was pretty poignant. Whatever. Um, in regards to the whole um, Joe Rogan situation, so his post goes as such: It says the N bomb, the N bomb. You still struggle with this in 2022. I'm not shocked by Joe Rogan's repeated use of it, the story he told equating black Americans to the planet of the apes, nor any of the other anti-black rhetoric that's been normalized by him and guests on his platform. No one asked for his apology, but apparently he felt the need to make an attempted one. For the entirety of my life and career, I've interacted and conducted business with predominantly white spaces while continuously and to this day, Having navigate, having to navigate and endure casual anti-black rhetoric and action from strangers and oddly friends. So many stories, so little time. On several occasions, I've been the only black person in settings where white folks that I conduct business with have casually dropped the N-bomb right in front of me. In my experience, whenever they feel comfortable enough to do that in your presence, they do not view nor will they treat you as, as their equal no matter how liberal they are or may present themselves. If you do gain any equality, it will be because 
you fought for it at the hazard of being labeled an angry black man, black woman, or is that if you are one making things uncomfortable for them, there's also chance that you may lose the deal. I'm not startled nor disturbed by Rogan because I have fully I have a full understanding of how racism functions. It is a well-oiled machine and continues to work with the I'm not racist people in the driver's seat. It's normalized, so he'll be okay. Whatever platform he loses, if any, he'll eventually get back. See, cancel culture was created for black Americans and put them in their place, such as Dr. Martin Luther King, Emmett Till, Juan Carlos, Tommy Smith. Colin Kaepernick, just to name a few from a very extensive list. If you made it this far for reading, I agree or, dis- or you, you agree or disagree, and all the comments are welcome. So I say that to say this. What Jeff's point was, was that people try to make these things type of type of things an outrage or whatever. And we kind of know what this is, right? If you've been in spaces like I've been in spaces and you've been in, in the in the view of white people, what they don't understand is when you drop those things and I can't respond back, I have to wear it. While you skip back to your house and you just do you, I got to wear this. And I have to also put on a brave face every time I come see you. I can't act out of pocket because I may lose my job or I may lose my my freedom. So with that, I say this. Holla at y'all, man. Shout out to my man, Def Jeff. Shout out to Mike and I for showing up. Appreciate y'all, man. Tune in next time, and I'll see y'all when I see y'all. Easy. You are listening to The BU Podcast with Michael Arrington. 